Matthew chapter 7. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye, when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw out your pearls to the pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to you, to, to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is a gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had a foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. 
The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, because he taught as one who had authority, and not as their teachers of the law. Here ends the reading. Morning, everyone. Let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we uh, come to your word and we ask that you would help us, teach us, encourage us, enthuse us, train us, uh, correct us, rebuke us, enthuse us for your passions that you have displayed to us in the person of your son, Jesus that we might know life and have it to the full, we ask. And keep me from error, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we've finally come to the end of the Sermon of the Mount. It's a long sermon. It's a long sermon, and we've been going a number of weeks. And we've remembered that as we've heard it, we've tried to hear it as though we were, hear it as though it's the first century Israel hearing it. One of the things about the Gospels is they're a little bit unusual for the New Testament, is that they're a bit like the Old Testament. What do I mean? I mean that really until the cross, the New Testament almost begins from there. No, it doesn't. But in one sense, as we're here, it's before those events. It's before they know that Jesus came to actually die for their sins. The disciples before them have no clue. If you read the Gospels, you might think they've almost got no clue the whole way through, but that's another whole story, and who doesn't? But you need to read it a little bit without that understanding that this is pre-all that, and in one sense, they're receiving it as an Old Testament person. Hence, John the Baptist is often called the greatest of the Old Testament prophets by Jesus himself almost. Um, this speech, as we've said, is part of the light that is shining in the darkness. And we know that others are hearing. It's not just the disciples but the crowds around, and we finally get to consider them at the end of this passage. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees have been in the gun here. They are aimed at and they continue to be aimed at in Chapter 7. Bill Dumbrell calls Chapter 7 the application of the sermon, and it sounded nice, so I just quoted it So and credit him with it. Here we are. This new righteousness, though, is one thing we've found, is the gift of God. That's news. And it goes on in chapter 7, verse 1, no hypocrisy, from verses 1 to 6. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And the measure you use it will be measured to
to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, then you'll be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Jesus says these things <clears throat> again, as we said, with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees particularly in view. Hence verse 6. What do you do when you tell them the truth, when Jesus has been laying before them kingdom of heaven principles? Remember we said this is apocalyptic, what it meant that the clouds have basically been pulled apart and God is speaking into their situation. They're hearing it. God is revealing himself. What will they do with it? Well, we know what they will do with it. And verse 6 is actually a precursor before we get to what they will finally do. With it. They will trample and tear you to pieces. This they will do to the one who speaks. But he, Jesus says, do not judge, for hypocrisy is rampant. They had applied the same standards to themselves, the ones that they apply to others. Instead of noticing the petty problems of the fellow Israelites, they're to notice and deal with their own. Chapter 15 will speak about why this happens. The problem is the human heart. Log in one's own eye needs to be acknowledged and dealt with, says Jesus. Verse 5, take the plank out of your own eye. Then you'll clearly see to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is saying this human observance of com commandments as you pick and poke and correct and change and notice and accuse. This is all pointless. It is, we might say, fruitless. It's a totally flawed enterprise. Remember, we said that Jesus has upped the game. He's done so that people might see what the real game is, to acknowledge the God, the God who forgives and acknowledges that you can't do. Righteousness, as we might say, and from Ephesians 2.9, is a gift from God, not by works so that no one can boast. A friend of mine <clears throat> is all the time telling me how good he is. He loves to tell me how good he is. When we sit together, it's one of the things he seems to pick up doing. He's a, an older gentleman I know. He's a nice, sort of nice fellow, but he's always telling me how really good he is. And it's this is an old world thing and it doesn't happen. I, I really must say it actually only happens with people of a certain age where they, where they meet a minister 
And they know they're all ministers or weirdos. You didn't laugh at that? Okay. (laughs) And they meet them and they realise that a minister is a bit of a threat. So sometimes they they will run away, they'll avoid you, that's that happens. But the other one, one of the other things they do is they might lift try and lift lift themselves up to you because they think you're some sort of measure. And they keep saying, I'm really good actually. And my friend constantly tells me how good he is. And then he loves to notice how not good I am. And so he's got the other gang going. So he, he lifts himself up and then he pushes me down. <laughs> and that's, that's the little game that goes on as we talk. It's interesting to notice, you know, it's, uh, it's uh, easy to do. I'm pretty hopeless. But he's right. I am no good. I'm woeful. I am a sinner. I know Jesus' message. And I'm hoping you know that too. That in the face of God's goodness and perfection, I would not say, I would not think, I am good. I'm not. I'm a nothing. But God is good. God is gracious. God is forgiving. God is the one who gives me righteousness. God is the one who's given me his spirit that he might take this mess and make it something. He's the one who's taken me and made me something. He's the one who's taken you and changed your life and made you more than you might have ever thought. Does that make you good? Oh, sorry, the Bible says no. But God is good and God can be relied on. Jesus is willing to give it and his teaching has undercut this confidence in ourselves. Humans do think they're good. Jesus says God is good. Particularly the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, which is why verse 6, as we said, happens. They are at the point of this critique. Humanity in the end cannot be judged by a religious system like the Pharisees, if they observe or not. Instead, this righteousness is a gift which we need and God will give. It means if we don't get it by observing and doing the right thing, not that we should do the wrong thing, what is the way to life? Verses 7 to 14. The way to life comes from asking. It comes from asking the God who is willing to give a dependence on his graciousness and love. Not me. Not my righteousness, not your righteousness, not the righteousness of the teachers and the Pharisees of the law who really are in the gun here. Instead, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock 
and the door will be opened. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if you ask for a fish, will you give him a snake? If then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? The people of the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says, are people who are forever asking and appreciative and receiving God's grace, his mercy and love. We're thrown onto the dependence of God's mercy. It's his divine provision which we ask for and depend on. He then talks about the golden rule. Do you know what the golden rule is? People of an old enough age can repeat it, and they repeat it like this. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you, isn't it? Do you love unto? Bill likes unto, don't you, Bill? He likes the untos. That's an old way of putting it. Verse 12, everything do to others what you would have them do to you. This sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus has been giving this apocalyptic perspective in these last days, and it's the last days before the cross for Israel to respond. He's giving this perspective from heaven revealed, and he's able to sum up the law and the prophets in how many words? One, two, three, about 12, something like that. I didn't count them. I should have. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees have got paragraphs after paragraphs after paragraph after paragraph and subclauses and new paragraphs and subclauses and subclauses to paragraphs and subclauses with uh, an addendums. A reliance, Jesus is saying we have a reliance on our heavenly Father and a self-forgetfulness. What is self-forgetfulness? That sounds like a big word that I got from somewhere. What that means is I'm not always concerned about myself. This is new for us, isn't it? I'm always concerned about myself. Are you always concerned about yourself? We're always wanting self-help, self-service. You can think of any other selves. I can't think of any other selves. Anyway, it's always about ourselves, isn't it? Here, Jesus is saying, do unto others what you would have them do unto you. That means you're thinking about the other person all the time. Somewhere else it will say, consider others better than yourselves, that you might serve them. It's a very radical way of speaking. And Jesus is revealing it to them, and it concludes his sermon on righteousness. And he sums it up with saying, well, there's only two ways to live, verse 13 and 14. 
enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life and only a few find it. There is life and there is destruction. The way to life is narrow and only a few find it. The way to destruction, on the other hand, is broad and lots of people find it and lots of people are on it. That's shocking news. It's shocking news to the disciples. It's shocking news because the nation of Israel is quite a number of people. But even in Jesus' sermon, he's narrowing it down. It's shocking news to anyone who's listening. If only few will find it, where do you start? Where should you look? Verses 15 to 27, listening to the right teacher. There are definitely some places that you should not look, verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognise them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes, figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognise them. It's a familiar saying, isn't it? Wolf in sheep's clothing. You've heard of it? I think people still use it. They might not know where it comes from, but it comes from here. They look like sheep, but they are actually ravenous wolves. That's a really striking image, one that we saw in Ezekiel chapter 22, where God complained through Ezekiel what the leaders of the religious leaders of the day were doing. They were ravenous wolves. You all know them by their fruit. I uh, I used to think what they meant here was, you know, you've got a ministry and out of the ministry comes lots of things and so you would know them by their fruit. And that's not what Jesus means at all. He means it's how they live. Have they been living the way that Jesus has been talking about? Do they model what they say? Do their actions match their words? Do their lives align with Jesus and his teaching? It's not by their ministry and their results of it that you know them. In fact, they could have the most successful ministry on the planet Earth and be a wolf bit odd, <laughs> but Jesus says there uh, in verse 22, people will come up and say, did we not prophesy in your name and in your names drive out demons 
and in your name perform many miracles? What does Jesus say? Verse 22. I never knew, sorry, verse 23. I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. It's actually about how they live. It explains why people can have conversion experiences, be turned, saved from drugs, be healed from illnesses, to find a pass even into ministry. But the guy who up the front, by his life, by the people up the front perhaps, by their lives, show that they're not these guys. They're not sheep. Jesus says you will know them by the way they live. The teachers of the law, the Pharisees, how do they live? Not what they say, not what they propose. How do they live? The wolves' lives won't match Jesus' call for humble dependence on God's grace. They won't walk in kingdom ways. They won't embrace the golden rule. They won't be self-forgetful. Instead, they will be self-focused. The fruit and this fruit alone will tell the sheep from the false teachers. And fidelity to Jesus' teaching is key here. Have you noticed what happened in that last bit? We got started talking about the judgment day. Go away, I never knew you. Who is there at the judgment day? Jesus puts himself there. And that's different. That's new. This is a new thing. Fidelity to Jesus' teaching is everything, including the fact that he will judge. He is addressed as Lord. Lord, Lord, we never knew you. People say Jesus never said anything that he was God. <laughs> I said, well, I haven't read Matthew 7, where he's actually the one who is judging and called Lord. For the coming kingdom of heaven relies on him. How are they to go on is a good question. I have uh, friends in Tamworth who owned a house. They owned a house. Uh, probably had a lot of, I knew a lot of people who owned houses. But anyway, I had one people who owned this house. And you go inside, it had a nice veranda around it. It looked lovely. It was sitting on a bit of a hill. It was sitting on piers. You know what piers are? You know what that is? Brick piers, brick piers. Sitting on brick piers. One problem, underneath the brick piers was clay. And they fixed the house up and they patched and they painted and it looked really great. And then the rains came down, the floods came up. Well, they were over there. But anyway, they might have come up. They did flood in Tamworth. And then it got hot and the clay, do you know what happens to clay? It goes, swells 
and then it shrinks. And all that movement, when it comes to buildings, is not good. Buildings are, a lot of buildings aren't made for that. So all the cornices, do you know what a cornice is? I used to think it was a pastry, but it's not. All the cornices, you know, there'd be gaps appearing and pulling away and the plaster would at certain points and, and suddenly it, it didn't look that good anymore. It was very sad. They'd built their house in the wrong place. No, not that they built it. They bought a house that had been built in the wrong place. The house wasn't built on a solid foundation, not a firm one. Jesus says, verse 24, we all know this one, don't we, from, from our Sunday school. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. They are the people who will produce fruit in their lives. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew, beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. Rain came down. The streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. Do you know the song? The rains came down and the floods came up. The rain. Did we sing that before? We missed such an opportunity. It's plain, Jesus says, that if you listen to my words, these words that have come from heaven and build your life on it, you will produce fruit and you will be wise. If you ignore them... You are unwise. Israel has a choice. The Messiah is here and it is the only way, a narrow way to life. But it is the way they must choose. And hearing it is like building their house on a solid rock. How does they respond? Verses 28 to 29 actually indicates not that good, for they are astonished, our fourth point. Jesus finished saying these things. The crowd were amazed because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. They've been given a very great challenge. All that they've come to know as truth has been thrown on its head turned upside down, uprooted, thrown away. And the crowd's reaction in the context of this incredible sermon is actually not that good. They're amazed. They're astonished. But they come across as stupefied. You know what stupefied means? Have you ever been in a situation where something happened and you didn't know how to react and you did nothing? That's what's happening here. They're amazed. They're astonished. No one ever teaches like this. Jesus teaches with authority. The path they ought to take is clear. When Jesus called his disciples in chapter 4, what do they do? They come. They go, they follow. 
Jesus, the true teacher of Israel, called, and they are amazed, but in the sense of it, there is no real response. I suppose as we go forward, we wonder, will they come? I suppose we can wonder, if they don't come, the Gentiles who are listening, maybe they will see this light and go. If Israel is foolish enough not to come, can the Gentiles be wise? For us, remember now, we're trying to come back to us now. We're the other side of that cross. They're here, we're over here. I know that won't look good, but it looks good to me. We're the other side of that cross. Our response after the cross is we have come to the Lord for forgiveness. We acknowledge that we're not any good, that we need God's gracious provision of love for who we are, and that God is good, and that God is giving. He has heard us and he gives. If you seek, you will find. The greatest thing anyone can do is honestly seek with their hearts the living God. For if they seek him, they will find him. Knock and the door will be opened. Revelation 3.21 will say, and he will come in and eat with you and you with he. There is a real personal relationship and assurance of God's forgiveness, presence, and life. And that is what we ask for. That is what we've asked for. We can be assured that coming to him, he will give us growth and transformation when we walk in his ways. Will we do so perfectly? No. The people of the kingdom of heaven don't think they're good enough. They know their God is good enough. Do the people of the kingdom of heaven please their father in heaven? Do they want to? Yes, because that's the spirit and that's the fruit that we produce. Produce that fruit, walk in his ways, and we remain in his love. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we are people of your love. We graciously live this side of the cross, knowing and trusting and being people who have received your gracious gift of your spirit and love. Forgiveness has been poured on us and into our hearts. We praise you and thank you that, Lord, you love us. We pray that we might produce fruit, fruit that people will acknowledge and praise you in heaven for. Help us to be your people in all that we say and do. We're a people who are all over the place. Our society tells us to be really concerned about ourselves and ourselves alone. That's a wonderful message for us. We love it. Our world loves it. We pray, Lord, that we might not love it. Instead, we pray that we would like self-forgetfulness, that we would love serving you and others. We pray, Lord, as we do this, we would walk in your ways 
in your truth and by your spirit we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.